0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Uh, Good morning, everyone. morning. Hope you had a good uh, rest last night. Uh, We've got a really great day ahead of us in God's Word, and uh, we're very uh, thankful to be able to gather uh, and hear from from God's Word uh, about work today. We're going to stand now, and we're going to begin this morning by singing uh, a hymn together. Uh, It's all hail the power. You can stand. The words will be on the screen. Eton. And once again, very warm uh, welcome and good morning to us all. My name is Tim, I'm the Ministry Director from, for, for Equip Gospel Ministries, and uh, uh, it's a great uh, privilege on behalf of Equip and KVBC to welcome you and to lead us through our session this morning. We had a great night last night, didn't we? thinking about the goodness of work. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Uh, William has uh, warned us it's about to get a bit more grim in a moment. But uh, last night, it was a great start, wasn't it? We were made to work. Work is good. There's a dignity to our work. No matter what work we are doing, there's a responsibility to our work. We're able to love our neighbor with our work. There's a necessity to work. We are commanded to work. Uh, and if we don't work, we don't eat. We don't be, we're don't. we not snobbish about it, and we're not over-spiritual about it either. That's what we started uh, yesterday, but we've got much more to uh, cover, of course, in God's Word. And uh, we've got two talks that we'll uh, be going through this morning. i have just put the program up on the screen. Uh, you can see that we're going to be starting uh, this morning with uh, talk two, What's the Matter with Work? Work is Grim?, and then after the morning tea break, talk three work should be governed by the gospel, part A. Well, just uh, before we uh, get into things this morning, just want to share a little bit about Equip Gospel Ministries. And uh, there's a few flyers, there's nothing printed in the book, but there's a few flyers that you can pick up from the Equip table later on. Essentially, uh, what the mission of Equip is to prepare Christians for works of gospel centered. Uh, ministry. We want to do that in, in partnership with the local church, uh, but essentially what it looks like is doing any kind of, of, of training uh, with the Scriptures that is going to enable us to grow in the knowledge of God's Word and for leaders to be trained uh, for the church. So Equip was uh, started in, in 2009 or so, and uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, there's a, it's, it's grown over the years. Next slide. The first uh, main thing it started was with this Certificate uh, in Theology course. And this is a really uh, great course. It's aimed at every Christian. Uh, it's not just for leaders, but it, go, it has uh, 18 modules that goes through uh, Old Testament, New Testament, doctrine, church history, ethics, apologetics, uh, and, and, and more. But really the, the gold is especially in the first module. The first module is, is Bible Overview. And it helps us to zoom out and see the big picture of the whole Bible uh, and see how it 's all related to jesus and especially to his death and resurrection the gospel message uh, if you 've never done a a Bible overview before, then can I please commend it to you and if you 've been a Christian for a short time or uh, even for many uh, many decades you will still i 'm sure benefit greatly from it and then once you you know you 've uh, Wet your appetite, you can go on with uh, all the other modules as well. Now, it is possible to, uh, to host these uh, trainings in your church. So basically, if you can get together to a group of uh, 15 uh, people or more, then uh, Equip's happy to come to your church and to uh, bring a trainer and so on. Uh, there's a flyer that you can find out more about how to, how to do that exactly. Uh, the other kinds of things that Equip does is uh, there's uh, degree level courses. So for those who uh, are wanting to equip themselves for, uh, especially for full time ministry, uh, then you can uh, you can do up to master's level. And uh, the the great thing about the equipped uh, degree courses is a lot. I think in a lot of uh, seminaries, especially around Malaysia, the focus is very. It's very practical. Uh, a, a lot of things will be about uh, about uh, counselling and leadership, and, and those are good things. Uh, but not always as deep into the Word of God. And the strength of uh, of the equipped courses is it makes you engage carefully uh, with uh, with God's with God's Word. Uh, working through book by book and and doctrine and so on, so there's uh, there's the, there's the degree courses. There's also uh, we also have some very practical courses like uh, evangelism training or uh, Or personal follow up training or Sunday school teachers now some of these trainings could be great to run in your in your workplace they' just they 're just little short courses and and maybe you have a, a Bible study group at your your workplace or a little prayer group, and maybe you could you could get together for for five or six weeks with one of those courses to think about how uh, you 're going to bring the gospel uh, to your to your workplace so again if you 're interested in uh, hosting any of those, you can uh, come along to the uh, equip table uh, later on, and uh, lastly, uh, just to let you know about one of the other conferences. Equip and KBBC will be co-organising later this year. There's a Sunday school conference, and uh, we we are living to make Jesus known. One of the greatest uh, opportunities we have is to bring the gospel to to children. We can work during the week, and we've got opportunities to share the gospel there. But also, uh, there's wonderful opportunities on on Sunday to bring the gospel to the next generation so the Sunday school conference will be in KL and Penang in October and uh, that might be a great thing to bring along your Sunday school teachers from your church uh, to come along to. Well that's all I'm going to say but uh, you can uh, check out the equip website if you want to know more uh, or you can come along to the to the store later on and and do ask us any questions that you have. Well uh, we're going to read from God's word in a moment but let me uh, lead us in prayer. Uh, before we do that. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that your mercies are new to us every morning. We thank you that we can gather here this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he not only died to save us, but he is risen. He has been crowned as Lord of all, We do pray that as we sit under your words this morning, that you would enable us to live with Jesus as Lord. Even if what we hear is is challenging or revolutionary, we pray that you would be growing us and helping us to respond to your calling in repentance and faith. Father, we pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3 and invite Jeffrey to read for us.
2: Morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Today's Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 24. I'll be reading from ESV version. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain... You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which He was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be back, and uh, well done for making it through the traffic. What is the matter with work? Work is grim. So in these uh, four talks, we're considering a topic that concerns every single one of us. There are 168 hours in any given week, and assuming we all work between 8 and 10 hours a day, travel to work, and sleep for 8 hours each night at a maximum, then all of us will spend at least 50% of our waking life for perhaps five decades, engaged in work. And in the talk yesterday evening, we looked at work as it was designed originally in creation. Genesis 1 shows that there's a dignity in work. God's a worker. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul worked with his hands. Genesis 1 shows there's a responsibility in work. Vertically, a responsibility to God. He entrusts us with the work of this world and horizontally a responsibility to one another. And Genesis 1 shows that there's a necessity to work. As Paul puts it, he who will not work shall not eat. We work to fill our face. So then, work is good. Good because God made it and dignifies it, and good because God entrusts it to us and holds us accountable for it, and good because this is the way God has made the world to go round, and as Martin Luther puts it, when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are praying at least in part for the work of this world. We are to love our neighbour. But you'll remember there was a challenge in last night's talk. If work is good, then all work is good. We're not to be snobbish about work. And I wonder how this impacted the way we is going to impact the way we treat those who work around us those whose role we might previously have considered to be less significant than our own. We're not to be snobs at work. This should challenge radically the way we deal with other people around us in this culture. Nor are we to be super spiritual about work. There's no such thing in the Bible as an individual vocation other than to be called to follow the Lord and to live a holy life. David Brooks, we mentioned last night, the New York Times journalist and the prolific speaker at university graduation events, describes the idea that I must seek the unique post which will perfectly fill my passion, my vision, my dream, my personality as garbage advice. It's certainly not biblical advice. Now, my aim in this talk is to show us that when it comes to our work in this creation, We will never achieve our potential at work. You never will. We will always be frustrated at work. We will never gain true satisfaction through work. We will ultimately find that work in this created order is futile. My aim, then, is to spoil your work. Or at least I want to put a limit on your expectations of work so that you can start to think in a godly way about how you use the rest of your life. Let me say, this is my very deliberate purpose, and it's a purpose which, if we understand properly what God is saying to us, we will ultimately be deeply thankful for. It's hugely liberating. It's tough and painful, but in this case, the deeper the cut, the better the medicine. I want us to see, first of all, that God has cursed the place of work, that we will therefore be frustrated by God at work, and ultimately, our work will be blighted. First, the place of work is cursed. Ah, says somebody, all this talk about the frustration of work, you're telling me that the work is grim, but I thought you said work is good last night. Well, yes, in Genesis 1, work is shown to be good, But the point I want us to get hold of is this essential fact which is demanded by the text of Genesis 1 to 4. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pan out through Genesis 1 to 4, specifically Genesis 2 verse 4 to 5 verse 1, and we're going to see how the author demands that we read the material. Between Genesis 1 and Genesis 4 we find that Adam and Eve rebel against God this rebellion which is repeated by every human being who has ever lived since Adam and Eve apart from Christ changes everything and the author of Genesis 2 to 4 demands by the way he has written his material that we do not allow ourselves to consider this world without taking the fall seriously. So I want us to see this very clearly because when it comes to work and creativity and design and human activity, many many, writers of, uh, uh, many, many writers treat the truth of Genesis 1 and 2 as if they can be considered independently of the fall and the consequences of our rebellion. But the author of Genesis 1 to 4 has deliberately structured his material in such a way as to show that we cannot think of work apart from the fall and the consequences of our human rebellion. Now, the original text of Genesis 1 and of Genesis as a whole had no numerical chapter headings or numbers. So the chapter numbers and the verse numbers were put into the original text in the 12th century and in the 16th century, respectively. Originally, the text of the Bible was just straight writing without any gaps, even between the words. Just imagine standing up to read that on a Saturday morning, how difficult it would have been. The way the authors showed how their material was to be ordered was through literary markers. And in Genesis, the phrase, these are the generations of, punctuates the text of Genesis. And each block of material comes bracketed by the phrase, These are the generations of. Have a look at chapter 2 and verse 4. Chapter 2 and verse 4. Well, in the NIV, it has this is the account of. In the ESV, more accurately, it's these are the generations of. So verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Have a look at chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. Have a look at chapter 6 and verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Have a look at chapter 10 and verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Have a look at chapter 11 and verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family line. So do you see the author has deliberately given us markers and bracketed off his material, and each new piece of material deals with a new issue. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. It's interesting that Matthew begins his gospel, these are the generations of. From Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 to chapter 5 verse 1, The two brackets, this is the account of, these are the generations of. The author of Genesis is telling us about the foundations of the universe as it was created. Look at chapter two, verse four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In other words, here are the tectonic plates. These are foundational truths to the whole of creation. Humanity created, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And now, the fall. If you're going to understand the universe, you've got to understand Genesis 2 to 4. Now, within the material of Genesis 2, verse 4, through to 5, verse 1, the author ordered his, orders his material with extraordinary care. So, chapter 2 begins with a description of the ideal home, ideal work, ideal marriage. Chapter 3 ends with a description of broken marriage, spoiled work, broken home. And right in the middle, if you like, at the hinge point of the material, we find Adam and Eve's rebellion against God as they seize hold of God's throne and seek to usurp his rule. So it operates like, what shall we say, a Big Mac. The bread on the outside, you know, the pickle and the lettuce and all the rest of it in the middle on the next layer, and then the meat right in the middle. You want to know what the meat is, the thing you really have to get hold of if you're going to understand life in this world. You must understand the fall. It's right at the center. By this tight and careful paralleling of subject matter, closely grouped and ordered around the center point of the fall, what the author is telling us is that we cannot understand marriage properly or work properly or any aspect of this creation in which we find ourselves without reference to our rebellion against God and his judgment of us. Take the subject of God as we did in this last talk last evening and look at the subject of work without in considering the impact of the fall and of God's judgment, develop an understanding and a theology of work from chapters 1 and 2 with no reference to the fall and God's judgment. And not only will you not understand this creation and your work within it, but you will cut precisely against the way God has organized his word here. You will be running roughshod over what God has got to say about us. And verse 17 tells us that as a result of our human rebellion against God, everything is spoiled. Chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So notice from verse 16 why marriage is so spoiled. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Childbirth, marriage. And notice why the ground will be cursed in verse 17. Because you... Now, this is not a command to husbands never to listen to their wives. Just let's get that clear. But in the context, the wife had sought to usurp the God-given order of headship of the man in the marriage. She'd rebelled against God, and her rebellion against God was shown by a rebellion against her husband's right, gracious, loving rule. God then deliberately spoils the workplace for us. He acts in judgment against the work of our hands. Our work will always be frustrated by God because of our human rebellion against God. God will not allow us to achieve uh, work in this, what work in this originally created order was originally made for. Now, I can imagine somebody sitting there thinking, wow, that's pretty heavy stuff, straight off on a Saturday morning. Surely this is just your reading. You're placing too much weight on the fall. No, that is precisely the way the text has been arranged. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. Ideal home, ideal marriage, ideal work. Broken marriage, got in the wrong order, but broken marriage, broken work, broken home. The fall right at the center. And so the person who wants to develop a theology of creation, what you might call creation theologians, without seeing that this world order is in its entirety impacted by the fall, has ripped Genesis 1 and 2 out of its context And use Genesis 1 and 2 in a way that God never ever intended them to be used. Never trust any theologian who handles Genesis 1 and 2 without taking them through the grid of Genesis 3 and 4. This explains why we want to gain such significance, meaning, and purpose and enjoyment from our work. We were made to work, our work is good. It explains the graduation ceremony, the commencement lecture. Yes, achieve your potential, find satisfaction. Yeah, that's what we were made for. But it also explains why we fail to reach our potential to find our true meaning in our work because God' work is grim and God will not allow you to find your potential in your work. It's idolatry, actually. There is a divine blockade on you reaching your potential, and does this not explain work? You know, I'm part of a Wednesday morning Bible study group for businessmen. We meet um, at 7:30 in the morning. I always arrive shortly after seven, and this way I get to talk to the guys who are arriving, and we have breakfast together. And I said to one of them recently, "How's work? Oh, it's terrible at the moment." He then recounted how an individual high up in the organization had made a dishonest decision four years ago, and how the whole organization has basically been managing decline ever since. And then he said this, this has been the story of the whole of my working life from one crisis to the next, the curse of work. That leaves us asking, well, in what way is God cursing of the ground going to work out at work? How does this curse work out? So, cursed is the ground because of you, and then in verses 17 to 19 we have it spelled out. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The frustration of work. Work will always be painful. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Work will always be frustrating. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Work will always be hard. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Work will always, ultimately, be futile until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. How are you feeling this Saturday morning? Happy? Pain. Work is grim. When first giving this set of talks a number of years ago, I had staying with us in the house a young lad who was working on an assembly line putting together something you won't understand, radiator thermostats. We have something called central heating in England because it's so cold. You have air conditioning, just make the transfer in your own head, would you? This young boy, aged 17, was doing work experience, and he had to assemble 120 of these gadgets per hour. Heating radiator thermostats, controlling the heating. Two per minute. They are intricate and fiddly. He worked for four hours, had a 10-minute break, worked for two more hours, had a half-hour break, worked for two more hours, had a 10-minute break, worked for one hour and went home exhausted. Above his head on the assembly line was a board which each hour showed how many he had assembled. Anything below the quota was marked in red. If he failed, and the board had more red than blue, at the end of the day he was visited by the management. Those working around him had largely been working in the same work for over a decade, every single day. There's no other employment in that part of the world. They're lucky. They don't have to change country to go and find that sort of work, as most of the people in this country appear to have have to have done. And he was paid a pittance. The pain of work. His sister had been in filing the same routine four hours, 10 minutes, two hours, 30 minutes, two hours, 10 minutes, one hour, home exhausted. In her job, there was to be no talking. And where people were caught talking rather than filing, they were disciplined. Two people had lost their jobs for that reason in the 6 months period she'd been working. The pain of work. Maybe you've been working in the luxury of an office. You may have felt a tiny little bit of the pain of work. I suggest you go and work in one of these other jobs around here that keep Malaysia running, just for a a week. My dad used to put us hoeing turnips on the farm. He was very gracious. We hoed turnips by hand only for two hours maximum at a time. It was back-breaking. Mr. Collins, our next-door neighbor, had a farm. He would hoe his turnips alone from 8 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the evening, day after day. That's normal. The frustration of work. Notice thorns and thistles it will produce for you. Uh, I have a small amount of interaction with the farming world still, and every summer on our family farm, we cut the thistles in the fields. But do you know what happens every spring? I know you don't understand summer and spring, but every spring, do you know what happens again? They're back again. And every year we trim the hedges, and every year, do you know, the thorns grow back again And I guess you do your housework. Actually, you probably don't, (laughs) having looked around, but somebody does your homework, housework, and do you know it has to be done again? And you iron your shirts and they have to be ironed again? And the frustration of work is repeated in every workplace. Why is it that the deal you work on, you sweat away on, you work on, you work on, and you work on, and then it just falls through at the last minute? the frustration of work, the pain of work, the sweat of work. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. Go to Bangladesh as I do once every few years, and as you drive along the road in the blazing midday sun you will be struck by the sight of women with babies strapped to their hips, and a pile of red bricks on one side with a pile of gravel on the other. There is no gravel in Bangladesh. It's a floodplain. Bricks are baked. Labour is cheap. Women sit by the roadside with their babies strapped to their side, a hammer, an anvil, and a pile of bricks. They're making gravel. It's cheaper to do that than to import it. That's why Bangladeshis come to work in Malaysia. But on the other hand, when I started as the rector of St. Helens in 1998, I was part of a small Bible study group with senior bankers. One of the individuals had been part of the Swiss bank, Warburg. Some of you will have heard of it. It was taken over by what became UBS, the Bank of Switzerland. Some of his colleagues as partners, when the takeover happened, made multi-millions of dollars. He often told us of conversations with those who had made the money What's it like having so much money? Do you know, I used to think that having millions would be liberating, they said. But now I find I'm consumed with concern and labor at not losing the millions. So at both ends of the spectrum, at every level in between, the farmer, the production line worker, the newly qualified lawyer, the junior partner, the doctor, the accountant, the broker, the plumber, the shelf stacker, the pain of work, the frustration of the work, the sweat of work. Does this describe work for you? Well, maybe it doesn't for some of you. Ah, oh, says somebody, I'm not in that kind of work. I'm, I am following my dream. I found the niche which was uniquely created for me, and I have real job satisfaction. None of this applies to me. Look at verse 19. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So you will do your work, you will retire, someone else will take on your work, who knows what kind of person that person might be, and then you will die. Futile. I've been working in the city long enough now in the city of London to see some of those great iconic buildings go up and then be torn down. Hard to imagine, isn't it, the Twin Towers being torn down? They will be. Near to St. Helens, the church that I serve, are six or seven iconic architectural masterpieces. One of them is called the Cheese Grater, but I remember the building that was there before the Cheese Grater. I remember taking my dad to see it, and do you know what he said as it was being torn down? But it's new, he said. And it pretty much was. And when it was put up at that time, it was considered the most complex glass-fronted building in the United Kingdom and one of the first tension structure buildings of its sort in the world. I think they were called Gollins-Melvin-Warden partners at the forefront, making their name as architects do. Through these hideous buildings. And they no doubt kidded themselves that what they were doing was of absolute significance. They were gaining meaning and satisfaction and purpose, and they were in the dream job, fulfilling their dream, and so forth. But it's been torn down. Futile. And finally, God's judgment of death at the end makes a mockery of us all, the futility of work. Just flick forward, if you would, please, to page 663, page 663. You'll find yourself in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 18. Toil is meaningless. You can see it says at the top. This is a reflection on Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19. So, I hated life, we'll take it from verse 17, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toil for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toll into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. Do you know, somebody was speaking on that passage at St. Helens in the business lunchtime service, and there was a great friend of mine sitting in the front row next to his son, and he had just handed his business over to his son. And I so enjoyed the talk. Who knows whether the son was going to be a sensible person or an idiot, but he'd handed it over. And that, too, is meaningless. In the summer of 2005, Steve Jobs stood before the rapturous audience of Stanford University and delivered his commencement address. The only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it, keep looking, don't settle. Now, there's no doubt that Steve Jobs did great work, but on the 5th of October 2011, age 56, Jobs was dead. And where will Apple be? in 30 years' time. And I know you medics, I know you'll be arguing to yourself that you're going to make that absolute breakthrough that will be of universal and everlasting value to all of humanity. But whatever breakthrough you make, whether it's the cure to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, leukemia, dengue, or whatever it happens to be, the people you cure, they'll be killed by something else. They're going to die. You'll never succeed. From the ground you are taken to the ground you shall return, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Well, finally then, and very briefly, the damage of human work. Sitting outside the structure of Genesis 2 and 3, but inside the author's section that runs from chapter 2, verse 4 through to the end of chapter 4, we find Genesis 4. Okay, some of you come in since we began. I've made the point that the structure of Genesis 2 4 through to the end of 4 is very tight. Chapters 2 and 3 are organized like a sandwich with the fall right at the middle. You should never consider work without considering the fall. Work is grim, God will spoil your work. But outside the structure, the tight structure of 2 and 3, which matches each other, we have chapter 4. And Genesis 4 charts our human efforts to get back into relationship with God who made the universe. You might call Genesis 4 as attempting to restore Eden without success. And the first half of the chapter is given over to the earliest religious violence in the Bible. We're shown man-made religion as through man-made religion we try and get back into relationship with God. Cain, through his own work, trying to get into relationship with God. And it results in envy, bitterness, hatred, and murder. The second half of the chapter is given over to the development of technology and culture. And we find the children of Lamech to be great inventors, great craftsmen, great cultural pioneers, great horticulturalists. But what does all human work result in? Genesis chapter 4 and verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77 times. Do you see the multiplication of violence? So, for all our development of the internet, of atom- atomic fusion, of the ability to travel or to plumb the depths of the earth for resources for energy, we find a corresponding multiplication of the capacity for damage and harm and hurt and hatred. You notice it, don't you, with the internet? What a wonderful invention. Do you know, I can Skype my children. I rang my mum last night, you know, for the third time since being here, you know, and just happened through Skype telephone call, and it cost me a pittance. But at the same time, think of the evil, the evil that has come as a result of the Internet and all those kind of digital advances. And so here is the world of work. It's futility, it's frustration, The sweat, the pain, the curse, and the damage of work. And does not this make sense of the world in which we live? Do you know, we work all night on a deal, and at the 11th hour, as dawn breaks, the plug is pulled, the pain of work. I'm looking at you bankers. We pour our hearts into a project. We labor at the patient's side. We give ourselves to preparing a lesson. We devote a decade of our life to serving an institution. Someone, somewhere, makes a decision or acts in a way which brings the whole enterprise crashing down. The frustration of work. We labor for weeks on a system. It's up and running for a few days. A glitch enters. It comes from somewhere. We haven't got a clue where it came from. Well, I've can tell you where it came from, but I'm not, not going to tell you now in case you boot me out before I give the next two talks. But anyway, it comes from somewhere, this glitch from some, probably the Russians. Let's settle on them, shall we? It comes from somewhere, and then we're back to square one, the toil of work. When we give our life to an altruistic, high-minded project, we plan our succession meticulously. The person whom we coached and trained to take on our job At the last minute is offered more money to go and do something else and our successor is an idiot and it all comes to nothing, the futility of work. Well, I would like you, I would love you to take this truth about work, the fall, to meditate on it, to ponder it. I want to spoil your work. Because it's only when you see the futility of work in this fallen creation, the brokenness of work, that you will begin to realize that there's something more important, more wonderful, more lasting, more valuable, more worthwhile than the silly little job that you happen to be doing. So what? In just a moment, we shall move on to two key observations that I hope this this, uh, talk will leave us with. But before we do, I want to tackle one objection. I can hear someone saying, surely, though, we are created beings living in God's world, so doesn't the creation mandate that was there in Genesis 1 and 2 still stand? This is what you will hear some theologians speaking of as the cultural mandate that we have to go on and explore and develop the universe and so on. And at this point, I want to say yes and no. Yes, work is still dignified. It's good to work. Yeah, we're still accountable at work. There's a responsibility to work. And yes, work is necessary. We're to feed our face. But very few of those who put forward this creation cultural mandate and urge us to plow our energies into exploring and developing the world take seriously the fall, or indeed the reference to change, in the command to Noah. So we have the command to Adam, but following the flood there is then the command to Noah, and the mandate has changed by the come time you come to Noah? Just turn to chapter 9 and verses 1 to 5. We're in Genesis, not Ecclesiastes. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on the, all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about you will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Do you notice there's no subdue it? Do you notice the fear and the need of protection? there is a very, very important book which you should certainly insist that your church elders and leaders read called What is the Mission of the Church by Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung. They tackle some of the skewed ideas that have come out of some of America's most, pop- America's most popular writers who encourage us to build the cultural mandate. Listen to what Kevin de Young has to say. The ultimate goal of Adam's mandate, the subduing of the world to man and ultimately to God, is no longer attainable by him. Yes, mankind will continue to carry out some of the original mandate's provisions, but now only with great frustration and without any hope of actually fulfilling Adam's charge to subdue the earth. We are not little Adams striving to accomplish Adam's original work. We continue to live in a world where the curse yet remains. Childbirth still involves pain, work still involves sweat, The animals still run from us. The creation is subject to frustration. Two implications. Implication number one. Let's get real about work, shall we? I want to suggest that we can be different from all of our generation, particularly you young ones who've been subjected to the sort of nonsense that we heard on those commencement ceremonies our generation who've not got the word of God to enable them to think rightly about work. We can stop being sentimentalists. Listen to this advert I came across on the underground one day traveling to work. Listen to it. Fast-growing, active, vibrant office seeks able, energetic, young person with vision and insight in order to categorize resources? What are they advertising for? A filing clerk. Now, let me tell you, filing is a really good area of work. Don't be snobbish about work. There's nothing wrong with filing. But if you took that job on the basis of fast-growing, active, vibrant, office-seeks, able, energetic, young person with vision and insight, You were conned from the advert into thinking that this new job was going to be the answer to any sense of frustration and meaninglessness, you'd be quickly disillusioned. My observation is that this kind of profound middle class gullibility about work is what drives so many people in the Christian world into changing jobs, changing jobs, changing jobs, changing jobs wanting to find fulfillment to realize my potential. And some of you young ones, even from Christian homes, may have had parents who themselves, through no fault of their own, through simply bad teaching, have been less well taught and have fallen into a sentimental view of work, a thoroughly worldly view of work. They've been gullible. They haven't thought about the fall. You were never meant to fulfill your potential at work. You were never intended to find ultimate satisfaction at work. God deliberately frustrates us at work in order to prevent us from finding our fulfillment in the idolatry of work. And God will not allow your experience of work to be other than pain, frustration, toil, and ultimate futility. Let's get real about work. Think biblically about it. Second observation. Let's grow up. I have lost count of the number of people in their early 40s who have come to me and told me, working in kind of middle-class professions, that they're finding their job really rather dull for the first time in their life and that they feel they must find something more exciting to do. And I tend to say to them, look, because you've been able to do a job that is deeply stimulating, so you've been protected from what 95% of the rest of the world first experienced when they were 16 and started work. That's why 95% of the world go out on a Friday evening and get blasted in the pub, if you understand that reference. And so I sent say to business, and some of them senior banking figures, welcome to the real world. You've just discovered what the soldiers I commanded and worked with for the first five years of my working life discovered with no GCSEs to their name at the age of 16. I'm so glad you've grown up. What then are we left with? Get real, grow up, suck up the pain. Is that it? Well, you'll have to come back to the talk after the coffee break to find out.
1: Well, I think it would be an understatement to say that there's uh, a few things that uh, we need to think about as we process what we've just heard. Uh, We're going to break for morning tea in a moment, but before we get distracted by food and things like that, uh, I wonder if you could just spend a couple of minutes talking to the person next to you uh, about what we've just heard. God has cursed the place of work. We'll be frustrated by our work. Eventually, we will all die. It will be futile, and we need to grow up. So let's uh, talk to the person next next to us. Uh, think about what we've uh, we've heard, and you might, as you as you process it, uh, be thinking about what questions that you can be asking. Just a reminder that we have uh, the Q and A time coming up in the afternoon. There might be a few questions you have from this, and you could take this opportunity as well to start sending through uh, the questions. I'll bring us back together in a couple of minutes. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, if I can just uh, interrupt you there. And uh, I can see we're, we're just warming up in those uh, those conversations. And that's okay, morning tea is uh, is uh, coming uh, in a moment. Now, just uh, a couple of things just before we go off for a short break. Uh, if you prefer to write your question on a piece of paper, you you can do that as well. Uh, there's paper in a box at the front here, so feel free to, to do that if you don't want to use the... Uh, the WhatsApp uh, message. Uh, now it's just a short break for morning tea. There's actually no uh, food. Don't. There's water to drink, so we can be we can be contented with that. But it's okay because lunch is going to be in just over an hour's time. We can we can still hold on till then. Uh, so what can you do at morning tea time then? Well, uh, number one, what you could do is you could continue talking about what we've just heard from the talk. Uh, number two, what you could do is you could go up to the stalls and uh, maybe you're interested in finding more out uh, more about the kind of events that uh, KVBC and Equip. Uh, are, in, are, are organizing. And uh, one thing you could do at the stalls is to leave us uh, your, your contact details there, uh, and so we can let you know more about what is, is coming up. And of course, uh, the other thing you can do is check out the bookstall again. It was a rush last night. Uh, there are some new titles that we've brought in overnight, uh, but let me just uh, highlight a few more uh, things that you could consider. Uh, this uh, this one here under the sun. This is a Bible study on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you've uh, if we've just begun to grasp something about uh, the futility of, of work, then this would be a great book to do with your colleagues at, at work uh, over over a Bible study. So that one is there. Uh, a few issues we often struggle with in work. Uh, how do I know what? job what God wants me to do? How do I know who God wants me to marry? Often we have questions about guidance, and this uh, book, Guidance and the Voice of God, helps us to think biblically about that, how the Word of God helps us to make uh, godly decisions. Uh, this book here is called Beyond Greed. Now, when I started uh, first uh, working, uh, which was some time ago now, I was a computer programmer, the very first day I started work was the first day that I started reading this book because I knew it was the first time in life that I actually had some significant money and the temptation for greed would be there. And I'm so glad that I did start reading this book because the temptation was real and this book was an immense help in helping me to uh, fight against that greed. So Beyond Greed by... uh, Brian Rosner. Uh, we mentioned the, the fifteen ringgit books last night. The work one is completely sold out. If you want to, uh, if you want to order it, you can do. You can leave your name at the bookstore. But we've managed to get another twenty or so copies of Revolutionary Sex, which is also by William. Uh, I don't imagine they're going to last for long either. So grab that while you uh, while you can. Uh, and. Uh, Lastly, uh, it's always good to have tools to think about how to share the gospel with uh, our colleagues and so on. And I think one of the, the best ones that I've found is this one called Christianity Explored. Uh, essentially what it does is it takes you through Mark's gospel and uh, helps, you, helps the person to understand who is Jesus, why did he come, and how should we respond to to it, so there's a there's a leaders uh, guide, there's a uh, participants guide, there's also ones in uh, Mandarin and in uh, Bahasa as well. Uh, so those are great, uh, great uh, tools. And if you want to do it with a group, you can also download videos to to watch uh, together uh, as well. Well, let's uh, let's go off uh, for for our break. We're going to be back here at eleven twenty-five. So we've just got about fifteen minutes or so before we go. Let me lead us in a, in a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is truth. and We know that sometimes that truth is, is hard to hear, but we know, Lord, that you are wanting us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would give us uh humility, that you would give us uh, thoughtfulness as we consider what we have, we have just uh, heard and uh, if there are any uh, areas in our life where we need to change, to, to think differently about our work. Lord, would you enable us to do that uh, by your Holy Spirit. We pray now as we enjoyed this uh, short break over morning tea that you'd help us to make the most of this opportunity to be together. Uh, we pray for fruitful conversations and uh, uh for yeah for gathering good resources that we can continue to love and serve you wherever we are, in Jesus name, we pray, Amen, okay, we'll see you back here eleven twenty five we'll be starting, so see you soon.
2: Sound
3: Sound check one two, sound check one two, sound check one two, sound
2: check
0: one
2: two, sound check one two, sound check one two.
1: I can see we've all filled up from the back. Uh, if you want to take this uh, opportunity to sit a bit for- further forward, I'm sure William will appreciate uh, that. Now, uh, you'll be thankful it's a short break, so we're not left in the pain uh, for too long. We'll get to hear the solution. Work should be governed by the gospel, just in a moment. Now, before I invite uh, William to give the third talk, uh, I wanted to uh, invite William up to chat to us about this uh, resource that he's developed called the Word uh, One-to-One. And uh, you, It's been your habit for many years to, to meet with people, workers one-to-one, to read uh, to read the Bible together. Can you just share a little bit about that and how that led to this, yeah, this resource? I mean, I
3: suppose most effective in my kind of own evangelistic ministry has been reading John's gospel one-to-one with unbelievers. Uh, and my conviction is that God has given us everything that we need in the scriptures and that John's gospel was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have faith in his name. Where better to go then with an unbeliever than to read through John's gospel. So I'd been doing that for many years. And then one of the businessmen in St. Helens said he wanted to go down to work just four days a week and to spend the extra time uh, doing one-to-one evangelistic Bible study with his friends. Would I teach him how to read one-to-one? And he wanted to read with senior board members. Um, And so I sat down with him for the first three weeks thinking I'd show him how to do it, and then he would just get on and do it. What I didn't know was that he was going home and writing up notes from each of our meetings, and then he wanted to meet a fourth week, a fifth week, a sixth week, a seventh week, until we finished the whole of John's Gospel. So anyway, when I realized that, then we edited his notes, and eventually it's been turned into this. Now the good thing about it is it has the text of John's Gospel on one side of the page, questions down the middle, and the answers on the other side of the page, which means you don't have to be a Bible teacher to use it. You just have to be a Bible sharer. And what you'll find here is this is just the first block of books, there are nine like this, and uh, Tim will get hold of them for you. But there are six little booklets here, three pairs. And so if Tim and I were doing this together, he would have book one and I would have book one. We would both have the text of John's gospel, questions on the text, and the answer. It means I don't take a high position over him. We're looking at the text together. And we just read through it together, and many business people and others, many, many others. So there are some Chinese people in St. Helens using it by Skype, with their friends in Beijing, in Mandarin. So it's been translated into Mandarin. And then there are other office workers doing it by Skype with other people. But then there's um, one of the men who I've done this with has gone home with the copies to do it with his wife. And then others have done it in small small Bible But the Bible study groups, but that's that's what's going on.